On Sunday in Burnside at Home, we're asking the question, why do we find it so difficult to forgive? And as we explored that question together, we looked at one example of someone who was confronted with their sin and then had to confess their sin to God and find forgiveness from God. But not only did they have to find forgiveness from God, they also had to find forgiveness from the people as a whole and also from a few key individuals. We look together at David being confronted by a sin by the prophet Nathan. And you may remember David's sin. David had taken Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah, to himself. He had managed to get Uriah killed, and then he had a son by Bathsheba as well. And all of this uh, took place uh, as Nathan came to David and confronted him with his sin. If you're not familiar with the story, uh, go back and listen to Sunday service uh, on uh, the website and you can find out all the details and, and read not only the story in Second Samuel, but also the psalm that David wrote in response to being confronted by Nathan and how he teased out seeking forgiveness from God and finding out what God needed him to do. Today we're going to look a little bit more detail at forgiveness and indeed in each of these studies we're going to take a particular verse about forgiveness and find out what we can learn from it. Today we're going to delve into Numbers chapter 14 and verse 18. And here we have Moses uh, looking at forgiveness and seeking out God. Now, in the context of this verse, there's a very good reason uh, why Moses is telling us about God's forgiveness. The Israelites have rebelled against God and it looks as though God is about to destroy the whole nation and start again. So Moses reminds himself and then also in the process reminds God about what a great forgiving God he is. Moses wants to think about how God normally forgives and if he can remember that and remind God of that then perhaps God will not punish the Israelites and instead there may be forgiveness for them. So this is what Moses says, Numbers 14 and verse 18. The Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving iniquity and transgression, but he will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations. So let's look at this verse together. And I want us, first of all, just to very briefly uh, look at the second part of this verse together from, from visiting here, visiting the iniquity uh, of the fathers on the third and fourth generation. And this is just to remind us, we'll say a little bit about this in a moment, but this is just to remind us that sin does not go unpunished. Sin is very serious where God is concerned and although in a moment we're going to look at how loving God is and how forgiving he is, we need to remember that if sin is not confessed, if sin is not dealt with, then there are great consequences and these are the consequences that Moses lays out here. He doesn't try and portray God as just this loving, fluffy God who lets everybody off. But he is reminded of how serious God treats sin. So let's look at the first half of this verse together. 
And we begin with the Lord, and you see it here in capital letters once again. And you may remember over the last few weeks we've been looking at names of God, and we were looking at that wonderful name that we find in the Old Testament of Yahweh. And any time that you see these capital letters, you find that the Hebrew is this word Yahweh. It's I am who I am that God revealed to Moses at the burning bush. And so we're reminded here that this is the Lord, Jehovah, Yahweh, that we are coming to. And Moses is identifying him so that there's no doubt in who we're talking about here. It is the one true living God. And we're told here, first of all, that God is slow to anger. This must be serious, this situation with the Israelites, because God is angry. And yet Moses remembers that God is slow to anger. So for him to become angry, it is really serious. Sin itself is serious. I remember preaching as a student uh, at one stage and saying that Jesus wasn't angry very often. And uh, I was uh, preaching uh, about anger. And at the end of the service, John Joe Rainey, who many of you will remember, uh, was in the congregation and he came up to me at the door, shook my hand uh, and said, Son, how many times was Jesus angry? And then he answered his own question. He said, Once, when he overturned the tables in the temple. It's the only time that we are recorded that Jesus was angry and he was angry about sin in his father's house and it was so serious that the moneylenders had come in that they were taking advantage of the people that they were selling the sacrifices and all these different things that Jesus anger was apparent and he overturned the tables and he sent them out of the temple not often that God gets angry. He is slow to anger. But where sin is concerned, sin is serious and it has to be dealt with. But as well as the slowness to anger, we also see here that there's something else that Moses wants to remember about God. And he says, and he is abounding in steadfast love. We're going to find out about forgiveness But there are two things that impact forgiveness in Moses' mind. And those two things are slowness to anger and then abounding in steadfast love. So any forgiveness that comes from God are dealt with with these two particular things. And we see here abounding. Abounding means a lot. It's excessive. That God just doesn't have a little bit of love He's abounding in love. It's overflowing from him. And it's a special sort of love. It's a a steadfast love. It's a love that cannot be shaken. It is a love that comes from his covenant with us, that we are trusting in him and he is trusting in us as our father. And so we look to him because of this love and because of his slowness to anger, we look to him because he will forgive as Moses tells us here and Moses tells us a couple of things that he will forgive he will forgive iniquity 
and he will forgive transgression. And again, we dealt with these on Sunday. We looked at the, the three different forms of sin that were forgiven, iniquity and transgression and sin. And it's important because God deals with sin. He sorts it out. He takes away our sin. He takes away our guilt. He takes away our shame. But, and there is a big but in all of this, because we might think to ourselves, well, this is a a get out of jail free card. If God's going to forgive, then we're landed. We can just do whatever we want, come and confess our sin, and everything will be fine. But he will by no means clear the guilty. Unless we confess our sin, unless we start off this with this new opportunity to serve him and to follow him, God will punish. And as we uh, saw from this verse, that he will visit the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. This is serious. It's not just a little light thing that God will say, oh, well, here's a wee punishment. Go away and it will be sorted out. It is serious for generations, God says. So let's take a moment now and let's give thanks to God that he is slow to anger because we provoke him so easily. Let's give thanks that he is abounding in steadfast love and let us fall down and plead for his mercy, for his forgiveness in our lives. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, you are a loving God. You are slow to anger. And we thank you for that because, Lord, we know that we deserve your anger and your wrath because we sin against you so much. And yet, Lord, you are patient with us and you forgive us our iniquities and our transgressions. Help us, Lord, day by day to obey your commands. But help us also, Lord, to recognise our sin and come to you and seek your forgiveness. For, Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome to part two of our study on forgiveness as we continue our theme from Sunday asking that question, why do we find it so difficult to forgive? And each day we're looking at another verse which gives us a little bit of insight into the whole idea of forgiveness. And today as we continue to think about forgiveness, we're going to find out how we can receive the forgiveness that Jesus has purchased for us on the cross and the solution is found in 1st John chapter 1 and verse 9 so let's read it together and we're also going to stray a little bit into the next verse verse 10 if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness if we say we have not sinned we make him a liar and his word is not in us So what we see is forgiveness and cleansing is dependent on us confessing our sin. And those are the three ideas that are caught up in this particular verse. Jesus has already done what's needed for our forgiveness. He went to the cross. He became the substitute for us standing in our place on the cross, taking our sin upon himself. He was punished for our sin. And our part in this whole transaction is to come to him and confess our sin. 
I've talked before about the type of person who, after a tragedy, is able to say with all certainty, I forgive those who have done this. And it always bothers me or perhaps even intrigues me about how somebody is able to say with such certainty that they forgive the person who was responsible for the tragedy. But this is what they were doing that we see in this verse here, that they are forgiving the person and then that forgiveness comes to fruition when the person who is guilty confesses their sin and takes their responsibility. What we see in this particular verse is that Christians must confess their sin to receive salvation from God. That's how our sins are forgiven. But then we must also confess our sin to maintain fellowship with God so that we are sanctified day by day. So let's look at the verse in a little bit of detail. And first of all, we see that all of this is dependent upon us confessing our sin, if we confess our sin. And checking the definition for confession, we find out that it is to admit that one has done something wrong. And the interesting thing was, whenever I was looking up the definition of confess, Google had a graph of usage of the word confess in books. And it started off in the 1800s when uh, the usage was of confess was at its peak. And now it's at a quarter of what it was in the 1800s. There's been a slight increase since the year 2000, but it's nowhere near as popular a word as it once was. And that perhaps is in society today where people are very slow to confess sin. And that's perhaps why we find it so difficult to forgive, because not a lot of people actually confess, admit that they've done something wrong, and therefore are looking for forgiveness. And we hold on to our forgiveness until we see a change in somebody before we're ready uh, to, to offer that forgiveness in case they, they turn round and they, they take our forgiveness and then they're not worthy of it in some way. And what we find out about in this verse is that if we confess our sin, then he, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. So we find out that God is faithful and just. Two important things that lead to forgiveness. God is consistent. You know where you stand with God. He can be trusted at all times. He doesn't give up. He is faithful. He doesn't bend the rules. He is just. You know what's going to happen when you confess your sin. He has promised to forgive. It's not as if God expects us to confess our sin and then we have to wait and see if we'll be forgiven. Then we have to wait and see if that confession is good enough to warrant um, forgiveness. No, God is faithful and just. God does two things then whenever we confess our sin. He forgives us and he cleanses us. He forgives our sin and he cleanses us from unrighteousness. He takes away the sin, he takes away the guilt, he washes us clean so that we are ready to serve him and to follow him. So uh, this is a wonderful verse reminding us that our point is to confess our sin. 
This is a wonderful verse reminding us to confess our sin. And we need to realise as well from the very next verse that we have to admit our sin because we have sinned. If we say we have not sinned, then we make God out to be a liar and his word is not in us. So it's a matter of recognising what is clearly before us, that we are sinners and that we need forgiveness. All have sinned, all need to confess. So take a moment to consider what you need to confess before God. Something specific today that needs to be brought before the Lord and confessed to him. Not just a general, Lord, forgive me for all my sins, but something clear. Something that we can name before God. And the interesting thing is that if you struggle to find one particular specific thing to confess... Once you actually do find something to confess, then I think very quickly, if you're like me, you'll find lots more to confess as well. So let's pray together. Lord, forgive me for my sin. I know that you are faithful and just, and I trust that you are able to take away my sin. Forgive me this day because of what Jesus has done for me on the cross, standing in my place, taking my sin and my punishment and cleansing me from all unrighteousness. Amen. Part three of our study on forgiveness. And although all week we've been asking this question, why do we find it so difficult to forgive? Today, we're going to find out why we find it so difficult to be forgiven. And we're going to see that God's forgiveness of us is dependent on us forgiving others, which may seem like a strange idea because you might think, well, as long as I confess my sin, as we saw yesterday, uh, to God, then God will definitely forgive me. But we see in Matthew chapter 6 that there is a, a dependence on us forgiving others to receive God's forgiveness of our sin. This is all part of Matthew chapter 6 where Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray and we end up with the Lord's Prayer as we refer to it. But part of that Lord's Prayer involves us asking God to forgive us. So let's read those particular verses together. We're going to read verse 12 and then we're going to read verses 14 and 15. So in verse 12 we read, Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And then we ask that God wouldn't lead us into temptation. But in verse 14, For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Now, the first part, verse 13 is simple enough. It's what we expect about forgiveness. It's what we expect about prayer. Jesus teaching us to pray and he says that as we pray to God, we should ask God to forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. 
And that seems like a nice little phrase. But because it's a nice little phrase and we can easily skip over it whenever we're praying familiar words, Jesus returns to the idea in verses 14 and 15 just to make it crystal clear what he is telling us. And he is telling us very clearly here that if we forgive men whenever they sin against us, then, as we might expect, our Heavenly Father will also forgive us. We know we confess our sin, God forgives us. But then comes the warning. And this is a major warning that we find here in verse 15. If you do not forgive, not forgiving men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sin. Now this is hard to take, but it's something that we need to learn about forgiveness. Forgiveness is not just something we receive, it is also something we give. And because God has graciously forgiven us, we should be more ready to forgive others. Because we've realised that we've sinned and we're helpless to do anything about it, we should realise that we should then be able to forgive other people whenever they sin against us. And sometimes there's no way that you can persuade someone to forgive you. You're simply relying on their grace to receive forgiveness. You can make the first step by offering forgiveness. And so this is what is important whenever it comes to our relationship with God. So let's take a moment today to consider if there is anything that we haven't forgiven in our lives. Has somebody done something to us that we're still holding on to? Is there something that has happened in the past that we're still resentful and bitter about? God is telling us here that we need to be ready to forgive that person. We need to be ready to forgive that sin. Because, in verse 15, if we do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So let's think about those things and as we find that bit of bitterness, that long unforgiven sin, let's lay it out before God and let's ask him to forgive us today. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I've realised the sin that I have not forgiven in others. I've realised that that bitterness that I have held within my heart because of what someone else has done is ruining my relationship with you. Lord, help me to see it today and help me to confess it. And then, Lord, help me to forgive that other person so that I may receive the fullness of your forgiveness. Amen. Part four of our study on forgiveness leads us to Psalm 32 today. And Psalm 32, just like Psalm 51 that we looked at on Sunday, is a psalm, is a penitential psalm where David, the psalmist, is confessing his sin and is seeking forgiveness from God. And as we look at the psalm, we're going to look at the first two verses where David is telling us, giving us a little insight into forgiveness by showing us how blessed somebody is whenever they are forgiven by God. 
So let's read these couple of verses together. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him and whose, in whose spirit is no deceit. So we've got this wonderful word blessed used twice within the psalm, uh, these first couple of verses. And each verse is telling us what the person who is blessed is like. And it's all to do with forgiveness. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiveness. And blessed is, I suppose, it's along the lines of being happy, of being filled with joy. But it's not just having a grin on our face. It's something spiritual. It's something deep within our hearts. So blessing, being blessed, comes from God. It's a spiritual joy. It's a spiritual happiness that the world can't really dent by throwing things at us. It's something that we have within our hearts. And no matter what happens around us, that blessing is still with us. So we may receive bad news. We may go through difficult circumstances. But the blessing of forgiveness and having our transgressions forgiven stays with us and cannot be taken away. It's not just the fact that we're forgiven for our transgressions, but our sins are covered over. You and I can't do anything about our sin ourselves. We sin and it's there. It is permanent. It cannot be taken away by anything that we do or anything that we say. We can be eternally sorry. We can try our best to do good. But the sin that we've committed in the past is there unless God does something about it. And so God covers over our sin through the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus going to the cross, shedding his blood, covers over our sin, deals with our sin. And so therefore we are forgiven. But then the psalmist goes on in verse 2 to say that blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him and in whose spirit is no deceit. So it's not just that our sin has been forgiven, it's been covered over. It truly has been dealt with because God no longer counts it against us. If you imagine a ledger book with a list of all of our bad points and a list of all of our good points, the bad points column is clear because God has erased all those sins. They're no longer there to be counted against us. They are gone. And so we're truly blessed because God's not remembering our sin. The next time that we come and ask for forgiveness, God isn't saying, well, yes, I know we've dealt with this sin in the past, but look how many times I've forgiven you. Look at all these things that you've been forgiven and yet you're still doing them. We're going to have to stop here. We're going to have to ask questions. No, that column is clear. It's free. And so we're truly blessed because that guilt and that shame is no longer with us. We're not going back to God again with the shame and saying, oh, Lord, look at this long list of things. No, those have been dealt with. And that's what we've got to remember as we follow Jesus Christ. He deals with sin and it's no longer counted against us. And in whose spirit is no deceit. 
This deceit that's mentioned here at the end of verse 2 it is really the fact that we've come clean to God. That we're not trying to deceive him and we're not trying to deceive anyone else about our sin. We've confessed it freely. We've admitted to what we've done wrong. It's very, very easy in our lives not to admit when we've done wrong. It's very easy to try to cover it up and justify ourselves. But that is not what God wants. God wants there to be no hint of deceit. He wants us to come to him and admit clearly what we've done wrong. So let's take a moment today and think clearly about the blessing that God has given to us. This blessing of our sins being forgiven and covered over. The blessing that nothing is being counted against us anymore. And let's make sure that there is no deceit in our lives. That we're not trying to cover up what we've done. And then let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you today for your blessing in our lives. That blessing of sin forgiven. That blessing of sins being covered by the blood of Jesus. Oh Lord, we thank you that you are not counting our sin against us. So Lord, we come before you today. And we pray that there would be no hint of deceit in our lives. But that we would truly confess and receive your grace and mercy and forgiveness. For we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Part 5 of our study on forgiveness. And we come to a verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17. A verse that tells us what the result of forgiveness is. And opens us up to the wonderful possibilities of what Jesus Christ has done for us. wonder sometimes, do you find it difficult to, once you've been forgiven, to do the right thing? Sometimes we treat forgiveness like turning over a new leaf. We decide that we've done wrong and so we confess our sin and then we determine that now I am going to be better. I'm going to turn over a new leaf. It's like a New Year's resolution. I've got a new start and I'm going to do it right. But sometimes we forget just how powerful the forgiveness of Jesus Christ is and how much of a change that results in our lives. It's not just turning over a new leaf. It is a complete and utter restart. It is a reboot of everything that was in our lives before. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. You won't have used computers very long before you realise that sometimes, whenever things go wrong, the only way to sort it out is is to turn everything off and back on again. It's the simplest solution, and yet it seems to work so many times. If it was working yesterday and today it stopped working, just do a reset and see what happens. And this is what happens when God forgives us. It is a complete restart. If anyone is in Christ Jesus, if we have been forgiven and we've entered into that relationship with Jesus, we are now a new creation. It's not just that we've been given a second chance. 
It's not just that our sin has been wiped away. It's we are recreated in Jesus Christ. The old has gone completely and the new has come. The old is our sin and the new is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. It's not that we have been made better. It's that we now have Jesus Christ in our lives and his righteousness is what makes a difference. It's not that God forgives us and then he looks down and he says, oh, there's a good person now. That person can be accepted. No, God forgives us and then he looks down and he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ in our lives. He sees what Jesus has done on the cross in our lives. And so he accepts us because of the merit of Jesus. We're new. We have been recreated. The old sinful life has gone and the new has come. And we need to remember this wonderful restart that God has given to us. That we didn't deserve it. That we have done nothing to merit it. And yet God has freely given it to us. And therefore whenever we ask why do we find it so difficult to forgive others. Perhaps the reason is that we forget just how much God has done for us. And how much God has changed in our life. We sometimes think that we've earned that forgiveness ourselves, but that is not the case. It's a complete new start from God. And we should then be willing to forgive others because we've seen that in our own lives. So take a moment today to consider how God has recreated you. How God has given you a completely new life in him. How the old has gone And the new has come. What old things have gone? And what new things has God replaced them with? And then let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ. We thank you that in Jesus we are a new creation. The old way of doing things has gone. The old things in our lives have gone. The old desires have gone. And we thank you that the new has come, the righteousness of Jesus Christ, that through no merit of our own, we're now accepted into your family. And we come and we worship you today. So Lord, help us this day to follow you in Jesus' name. Amen.